0: If you would take your Bibles, turn with me to Psalm 8, Psalm 8, and as we prepare ourselves to take of the elements this morning, we'll, we'll have an opportunity to think about that as we continue our study in this psalm, this psalm leading us up to our focus in vacation Bible school and the dignity of life. And so we've been in this for a few weeks now and will be so for another couple of weeks Our focus this morning will once again be on verses 3, 4, and 5. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels. And have crowned him with glory and honor. I was either in the fourth or fifth grade. And the setting was art class. Art was always exciting. It was something that happened like once a week. It was different from the rest of the week of classes. So we always enjoyed art. And and with each week's class was a focus on some element of art. This day, in my mind, was pottery. And we we were given an opportunity then to make something special for our mother or father, and then we'd, we'd craft it in the clay, and then the art teacher would take it and fire it, dry it, all that kind of good stuff. The next week would be brought back, and we would paint it. And so that is what we did, and I was thrilled. I was going to hand craft a piece of pottery for my mother. And that's what I did. I carefully fashioned that lump of clay into a masterpiece. It was then taken and fired. I got it back the next week, dried. It was exactly what I had in my mind. I knew she would love it. And and I painstakingly painted it, carefully making sure uh, no detail was overlooked. I put it in a box. And I was thrilled then to be able to hand her that box. And my mom opened it up. Her eyes lit up to see this handmade, handcrafted, artisanal, Ashtray. My mom didn't smoke. It was the 80s, all right? It was the 80s. Some of you know what that means. And in fact, I even made it so there were two sides. There was a little ridge down the middle with little indentions for unfinished cigarettes. What art teacher lets you do this? I don't know, but I did. My mom, my mom, I don't know what my dad thought. Actually, I do know what my dad thought. I thought whatever I'd think as a dad. My mom, though, of course, loved it. And she gave it a place of dignity in the living room. Some of you know what that means. I think we have a generation or two that don't have any idea what that means. The living room is an ironic name because it was the one room nobody lived in, right? It's the one room my mom reserved from the, the you know, the gaggle of boys that dominated the house. No, no one got to go in it except very special people and very special things. And this ashtray sat in that room. Now, it has then now been lost to the world, all right? In fact, I'm pretty sure my mom maybe did it for one day, and then after that, ashtray was gone. But it was, it was special to her because it was made by hand, Right? And that part we can all identify with. We can identify with getting certain gifts throughout our lives or maybe things handed down from generation to generation. Maybe they have value in terms of of actual like economic monetary value, but maybe they don't other than they were hand-made. And really, if you want to jack up the price on something, call it handcrafted and artisanal. That's all you got to do, right? And all of a sudden, you can double the amount because we put value in that which was made by hand. See, this is, this is where Psalm 8 continues to inform us rightly on the nature of humanity. And this is something, as we've noted all along, that our culture gets so badly wrong, and I would say a fundamental reason is the dominance of evolutionary thought, rejection of biblical worldview, Psalm 8 comes along and provides us an important corrective, a way to think rightly about what it means to be human. And and so we've taken several weeks now looking at this Song of Praise, where where David really identifies two issues, God's glory and man's dignity. And what David does for us in Psalm 8 is he answers two of life's most important questions. Who is God? Who am I? And we've already looked then at at the first of those two truths. We understand the nature of God. We can answer that question. We understand the nature of God when we understand God's glory. That's verses 1 and 2. In the last couple of weeks, we've then been looking at number two, and that is we understand man's nature, our nature, when we understand our dignity, when we understand our dignity, when we recognize the way in which God made us and the way in which God views us is set apart and distinct from the rest of his creation. Without sounding like a self-help motivational speaker, we truly are special in the eyes of God. And I'm afraid we live in a culture that has absolutely lost that concept. I think we see it on a magnificent display, negatively speaking, in the culture all around us. So how then do we understand this dignity? Well, we're taking the outline down a little bit further. And that is there are at least three truths that Psalm 8 identifies as being reasons why we should view ourselves as being of dignity. In what ways does God demonstrate we, we have unique dignity versus the rest of creation? Well, number one, again, we, so we're going down the outline again. I mentioned this last week. We are uniquely fashioned by God, uniquely created by God. God has done something with us as humanity that He's not done with the rest. Like I said, last week, complicated outline. We're going down again. All right, you got notes in your bulletin, though, if you want to fill this out. Because the uniqueness of our creation is demonstrated in some important ways. We spent all of our time last week on number one we are made in the image of God. We are made in the image of God. So that was the first one from last week. Made in the image of God. Again, that takes us all the way back to the beginning, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. Out of all of the ways that that God could have made us, we we have the triune God counseling with one another, all right? This this, this inter-divine speech where they say, let us make man in our image. And we reflected on what that looked like. This morning, let's look at a couple of more. As, as we then look forward to taking of the Lord's table, because these will speak directly to that. So number two, the second reason why we are unique is that we're made by hand. We're made by hand. We, we, we have been fashioned by God in a way that sets us apart. Now, go back to Psalm 8, and you see it alluded to, it's implied I'm going to make a couple other references to a couple other verses that flesh it out. But notice again in verse… So after we have that key question in verse 4, What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels and you have crowned him with glory and honor. And then though we won't get to it this morning, jump to the next verse. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. Now here's what's significant about this. Though creation is often described, in fact verse 3 talked about God making the heavens with his fingertips and we talk about the creation as being the you know, God making this by hand, we recognize that as a poetic expression. Because you go back to Genesis 1, what is the literal way in which God made the stars? He spoke it, right? Moon, sun, God did not make light by hand, so to speak, right? He said, let there be light. And, and he does this all the way through Genesis chapter 1. He, he very specifically speaks these things, but that pattern stops when we get to the discussion of humanity. And then we get to Genesis chapter 2. We have verse 7 and verse 15. You can write these down. We won't turn to them now, but, but these, these are critically important because after we have that, that basic discussion of, of how God created, chapter 2 is going to fill in some details. And you have verse 7, after telling us about the day of rest, the seventh day, verse 7 then says, and God formed man out of the dust of the ground. Formed him. Now, you may ask, Pastor, what, what, what does it look like? What do you mean God What does that even look like? I have no idea. I don't have any idea. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know exactly what that, I mean, in other words, had we been looking down on this happening, were there two gigantic hands thrust out of heaven? And did he put some water on the dust? And no, 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 that's not what he did. In my mind, that's what I see, but that's not what he did, all right? However, it does speak of God crafting us in a way that he did not craft the rest of creation he did not make the rest of creation like he did us we, we stand distinct and unique handmade by God and then, then you get to chapter 2 verse 15 you, 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 this verse by the way comes after the world's first parade right God has made Adam he puts him in the garden to tend to it and then he brings before Adam all of the animals. Remember this story, right? Tells Adam to name them. So Adam names all of the animals. Now, what's the purpose for this grand parade of all these animals that God has just created? Well, one, I mean, Adam is to name them, all right? But two, when he gets done with all of this, what does the text say? That Adam realizes he was alone. There was no one like him. Everything else had its pair, had its complementary match. There were male and female of all of these other things, all right? So, you know, he sees a hippopotamus with another hippopotamus, okay? another giraffe with another giraffe. I don't know exactly what he saw, but you you know what I'm getting at, right? Boy, he could tell right away, which by the way, is that not fascinating, That Adam knew right away, these other animals are nothing like me. Church, you do well to remember this. We are not just a more evolved, complicated form of the animal kingdom. I don't care how biologists designate us. It doesn't matter to me, all right? They don't determine my worldview, the Bible does. The Bible makes it very clear. Adam saw every living thing that was to be given a name. He gave it a name. And what does he realize? There's nothing like mankind here. And so God then says, well, it's not good for man to be alone. This is all part of God's plan. And so he causes a deep sleep to come upon Adam. This is what chapter 2 tells us. It says he took a, a rib from Adam, from the man, and he formed the woman. So so in both ways we have this profound description of how we were made. And again, the language we're using bears the poetic flair of the text. That, that, we, that we recognize we are handmade, uniquely, specially, significantly crafted by God. I think it's critical that we understand ourselves this way. One of the reasons why we have dignity is because we are uniquely fashioned by God. That is reflected then in the fact that we are made in His image and we have been made by His hand, designed by Him. Number three, we are also made for the glory of God. We are made for the glory of God. So, again, notice, notice how it's described. Verse 5. For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You've crowned. You've crowned him. That language of being crowned, I think, speaks to a couple of things. One, I mean, it identifies then the creation of man as being the the unique and special pinnacle moment of God's creation. Now, don't be thrown by the reference that we are made a little lower than angels. That's not a way to say that we are less important or less significant as if angels were then the top of God's creation. I mean, mean in a a sense, he's speaking quite literally here. How are we made a little lower than the angels, where the angels were made specifically designed to serve God in his heaven, right? And God made us for purposes of life here. So, So in a very literal sense, we're lower, okay? All right? It's not all that deep and profound. I mean, it is, but it's not. We were made lower. At the same time, we do not reside in the fullness of the majesty and the glory and the holiness of God. But the Bible's very clear. There are other cases in which, like angels, look upon us with a a type of jealousy, longing to know God the way we do. It's because God did not send anybody to die for angels. So we are unique and special. Yes, in a sense, we we function in this, this place that's lower than the angels, but we are described as being crowned with glory and honor. This means God has designed humanity not only in a specific way, after his image and by his hand, but with a specific purpose in mind. Now, you may say, well, pastor, doesn't all creation declare the glory of God? Yes, yes, they do it does. The heavens declare the glory of God, right? And that's what that's, uh, we, we've, we've already seen that. We, we know that, that Romans uh, chapter 1 speaks of God making himself known in creation. And we know there are verses that say things like, you know, that, that, that the rocks will cry out in praise. But, but they're not sentient beings, right? I mean, we don't, we don't think that we don't think that rocks literally have a brain and that they're literally thinking, I get to glorify God today, right? You understand, this is, this is a literary flair. I heard the most ridiculous thing the other day. <laughs> I was watching a show, of course it was on PBS, I thought it was about cooking, it turns out it was about some weirdo environmental people, all right? What, which the one guy said, there's a lot of great work being done about the sentience of plants, the sentience of plants. In other words, there's a lot of work out there being done on how plants are thinking creations of God. Like, what? (laughs) Well, I guess I should be a little gentler when I chop up this basil. I mean, it's weird, right, to think of this. Like, That's weird. No, in other words, these other things, yes, they glorify God because they bear God's signature upon it, right? They reflect the glory of God and the fact that God, like an artist, puts his imprint on his work. God put his imprint. These things do glorify God, but you and I are different. As humans, we were originally designed to intentionally, consciously, verbally, and with our actions, glorify and honor God. We are unique and distinct because to be crowned with glory and honor is to mean that we have a unique capability of honoring and glorifying God that the rest of creation does not have and an obligation that's not put upon the rest of creation that's why we're special that's why we're unique that's why we recognize there is a type of dignity we enjoy that nothing else on the planet enjoys nothing else nothing else is to be compared or on the same level as us we are unique and distinct made in his image made by his hand made for his glory Of course there's a problem here right we recognize this how good is humanity these days any day for that matter at glorifying god it's not going so well right in fact we, we recognize the other part of what the bible says that that it's it's Yes, we were designed for this, but then what happens in chapter 3 of Genesis? Well, we have the fall, we have rebellion, we have depravity. And so Romans 1 tells us that that rather than worshiping the Creator, we worship the creation, which sometimes even includes worshiping ourselves. This, This is what we do best crowning ourselves with our own glory and honor, whatever we think that is, but a far cry from how God has designed us. And so this is the problem then with humanity, that we are deeply broken. The image of God in us is deeply broken and marred because of the sin condition of man. This is what we looked at last week. And so we noted that one of the profound realities of the gospel is that God does something for us. As those who are to bear the image of God, that image broken by our sin problem, how does the New Testament describe the work of the gospel? We have now been recreated after the image of Christ. In the same way, this very principle, made for the glory of God, this is how God has designed us. This is to be our great purpose, our meaning in life, the significance of who we are, it has been deeply broken by sin so that now we do not reflect this. So the New Testament then picks up this language as the impact of the gospel. That great text, Ephesians chapter 2. I mean, we know of verse 8, right, it's by grace through faith that you have been saved and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. But you keep on going and you get to that part where it says, you are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works created beforehand that you should walk in them you go to Ephesians chapter 1 and he talks about the saving work of God in Christ and what does Paul tell us there but that he did this to the praise and glory of God in other words the saving work of the gospel is what takes us then back to God's grand design for humanity, to be those who would glorify Him. Now we're capable of this. We are capable of reflecting the image of God. We are capable of expressing glory to God. We can now use intentionally our minds, our hearts, our voices, our actions to honor and worship Him. That is how the gospel has transformed us. This, by the way, once again, I think illustrates the emptiness of the dominant cultural values today. This illustrates the emptiness of evolutionary thought because evolution carried to its end means that men and women, human beings, have no other greater meaning or purpose. It does not afford us an understanding of meaning and significance. We just happened to benefit from cosmic chance. But we're no different than everybody else, everything else. We're no different than the sentient plants that are out there. We're no different than the animal kingdom. We're just we're just great, We're just more evolved apes. In fact, you have some who will say now, they'll look to elements of the animal kingdom to say that in fact there are parts of the animal kingdom more evolved than we are. It's amazing. I don't know how many of them have thumbs, all right, but that's amazing that that has happened. I don't know how many of them built skyscrapers, but it's amazing. I know dolphins can do great things, all right? But let's see them write a masterpiece, okay? I don't think they can do it. This is is an evolutionary worldview. And I'll tell you where its natural end is. Its natural end is to not understand the distinction of man and creation and then to not value life. That is what will happen. We are where we are because now we are a culture of death because we do not value life because we don't think life has any unique meaning. In the womb, out of the womb, at the end of life, those who are disabled, there are those that at every level of life, our culture would say, don't have the same kind of value. So listen to me, church. Do not wonder then why Why does it happen when somebody decides to walk into a school and to kill other human life? It's because they don't think life matters. I am telling you the problem is not going to be solved with political engagement. The only way this will solve itself is when the depraved human heart is resurrected by the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ and we stop living our lives that way and live as the crown and honor of God himself is the only way to change this. This is the gospel. And this is why this matters. This is why we are where we are. Because they don't believe this. And this is why today we are privileged. That we can gather around the Lord's table. Because if, if you want to know the dignity of humanity, look no further than to that to which this meal points. You want to know how much God values us? How much God loves us? Then look at a body that was broken. Look at blood that was shed. Look at Christ on the cross, bearing in His body God's wrath against my sin. Do you want to know if we're special, unique, distinct, important? In just a minute, we're going to take of the bread. We're going to take and we're going to eat. And we're going to remember a body that was crucified. We're going to take of the cup and we're going to drink. And we're going to remember blood that was shed to the point of death to satisfy the requirements of the law that's against us. And when you eat... And when you drink, here's what I want you to do. I want you to think of Psalm 8. What is man? That you are mindful of him. The son of man. That you care for him. What is man? God's special and unique creation. Made by his own hand. And for his own glory. So as we eat of these elements this morning, let us remember the degree to which God has demonstrated His love, the uniqueness and dignity of humanity, as we remember the death of our Savior. I'm going to pray for us, and after I pray, I'll invite the deacons to come forward, and they'll make their way, and then we will take of the elements of the Lord's Supper together. So let's pray. Father God, we do thank you. We thank you for the dignity, for the value, for the worth that has been given to us as your special creation. And we thank you, God, for your intervention in Christ Jesus to remake us. Those who were dead in our trespasses and sin, those who had fallen from what is your original design, we thank you for remaking us in a way that we could then honor and glorify you as your word commands and as your spirit enables. So Father, as we gather around this table, we do so to remember our Savior. We do so in recognition of what was the depths of our own sin and the greatness of your grace. And so as we we take of the bread and as we drink of the cup, may we remember the death of our Lord in our place, and on our behalf. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.